go. We're in part four of a series uh, called Christian. It's not what you think. And if this is your first time with us, or maybe you haven't been here in a couple weeks, um, this has been a really great series. I've been uh, a big fan of it, and it's been nice having a variety of speakers come in. Um, but really, this whole topic is talking about this word Christian and kind of what does that mean? Where did that word come from? Um, is it in the Bible? Is it like how is it used in the Bible? And how do we as Christians live up to that? And as we learned week one, that this word is only found in the Bible three times, believe it or not, three times. And all three times, it's people referring to this group of people, not themselves referring to themselves as Christians, but other people referring to them. And a lot, in many of those circumstances, were was in a, a derogatory type of way. But we learned that there's this other word that they call themselves. It's this word disciples, and this word is is more clearly defined. There's a set of what is a disciple and what's not a disciple, and there's many clear examples of what a disciple is that you can't kind of run from. You kind of have to take what that says at, at, at its word, and that's what Jesus calls us to be, is to be disciples. And that word disciple is, is a follower or a student of someone, and you kind of select this person to be a disciple of, just like an apprentice, where you abide by the teacher's teachings. You don't hear the teachings and, and kind of let it feel over you and think, well, I kind of agree with that. I think I'll go this way, or, or I think I sort of agree with this piece, but I'm going to change it. A disciple says, this is what your word says. This is what, how you would do it, so that's how I'm going to do it. There's no question in that. It's just a, this is how you would, so so will I. And so we learned about this word disciples, and the first couple weeks we talked about the word love and how Jesus taught us that we need to love others as he first loved us, and that he loved us first, and he loved us in a way that most of us cannot even fathom or attain to, but that we are to love other people in that same way. And when we do that, when we get that right, people will know that we are followers of Jesus. That's kind of the litmus test, if you will for all my science people out there. And in week one, we talked about this guy named Nero who burned down Rome, and people didn't like it, obviously, and they started to blame him, and so he cast the doubt on the Christians. And so there was this great torture and persecution broke out, and they were killed um, by the dozens, and they were hunted down. And what's interesting is this group of disciples, these people who followed the way, who followed Jesus, they were were... They embodied what it meant to be a disciple, and they loved other people to a fault almost, to this point where people were like, who are these people, and what is driving them to be this type of of loving group of people? And that movement was able to survive that persecution, and then just 300 years later, you see Rome, where it was once a place of torture and torment for, for Christians, that it's covered in crosses. And it's, it's a time when people don't really think of Nero, but they think of Jesus and they think of like churches all over the place. And so, and we believe that that kind of came out of this movement because they embodied what it meant to be a disciple, that they had something they lived for and they had a code that they lived by. And as, you know, I think in our culture today, we feel at times like we're losing ground, like it doesn't take much to look on the news or, or around you to feel like something's off in the world, right? Like, like something's just not quite 
right. And a lot of people would point to the other side and say it's not right because of them. And, and they might say, well, it's because of those people. But in reality, I think it's a sin issue that there's just something not right in the world. And so that's kind of the, the reason we're doing this series is because as you go down and, and you experience crisis and, and pandemic-like situations, it's important to go back to the basics of what Draw, drew you in in the first place and go back to, to what is it that we really believe? What is the reason that we gather here when they try to take church away from us and we can't gather in a, in a group like this? What is it that brought us here in the first place? And so we're going to get back to that. It's sort of a, a root cause analysis, if you will, to what does it truly mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And so this week, we're going to go back um, to kind of where it all began for Jesus. It's called, we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. Many of you have probably heard that phrase before. Um, and we're going to dive into Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to actually read it out of this ancient relic here. It doesn't light up. It's weird. <laughs> Facebook notifications don't show up on this when I read it. It's bizarre. And so it's almost like I'm uninterrupted. I encourage you, you can get one of these. They sell them at bookstores, if you know what that is. Um, it's sort of like Amazon, but you can walk into them. But So we're in Matthew chapter 5, and this is sort of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is like day one, basically, of his ministry. He's, he's picked his 12 disciples. They're following him now, and he's been healing some sick people along the way. And things are starting to get a little bit of momentum for Jesus. In chapter 5 in, in Matthew, which Matthew was one of Jesus' 12, this is his account. So this is his eyewitness account. This isn't him like being retold this story and he wrote it thousands of years later. This is him walking with Jesus and taking an account of what he encountered. So in verse 1 it says, Now when he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. That's why it's called Sermon on the Mount. His disciples, right, that's that word, not Christians, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So he begins teaching them that this is, this is what I need you guys to know. And if you, if you know much about Jesus' life and ministry, he didn't have an ocean of time. He knew his time was limited. And so everything that Jesus spoke about had meaning. And he wanted his disciples to learn this stuff because it, he knew that his time was limited. So he, he's kind of starting this movement off, sort of like a, a, a big address. You know, when we elect a new president, they, they get elected and then they have this big, you know, State of the Union address where they announce sort of what's their plans and how they're going to accomplish what they're going to say they're going to accomplish and all of those things, promises that are going to be made. And so this is Jesus. He's at the start of this. He says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of their righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When people insult you, when people persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad because he, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
So Jesus gets up. He's got this triumphant, you know, this big message, his rally cry. He's gathering up his people, and he says, listen, guys, we're starting a movement here, and I need a bunch of poor, sad, meek, righteous, merciful, pure, peaceful, persecuted, insulted people waiting for a reward in heaven. How many people signed up for that movement, right? Like, you probably, they were probably sitting there like, really, Jesus? Like, we, we've been waiting hundreds of years for this Savior to come, and we've been waiting for this, like, big, you know, like, William Wallace-type proclamation, you know, Braveheart, and to get us excited to go overthrow the government, and, and you're looking for peaceful people? Like, where's the swords? You know, like, a bunch of sad, poor people? Like, that's not going to get us anywhere in life. What are you talking about, Jesus? And, and, and this is sort of a, we go on in this, and we're going to look at a couple word pictures of what Jesus means by this, because I, I'm assuming that a bunch of them were sitting there like, come on, Jesus, like, go back to the healing thing. That was cool. You know, like, we could see that happen. This is a little bit on the boring side. But Jesus continues on, and he says this, this powerful phrase, and you've probably heard it before. He says, you, all of you, if you are a Jesus follower this morning, someone who would claim to be a Christian, someone who's following Jesus, this is you. You are the you. If you're not a person that's following Jesus today and, and you're just still checking this out, then this message is not for you. You can sit back, relax, and just amen me when I hit kind of a thing that strikes with you. But this is talking about us, Jesus followers. You are the salt of the earth. The salt of the earth. It's funny, my kids, I don't know what it is, but every one of them goes through this phase in life where they have to put salt on everything. They see mom and dad do it, and they just like dump it on. But you are the salt of the earth. During this time period with Jesus, the salt was used, it was a preservative that helped food last longer, right? Like a preservative is a substance added, which in this case is the salt, to prevent or added to food to prevent decomposition, due to chemical change or bacterial action. It keeps things from rotting, right? That, that's, that's what they used it for. And if we're supposed to be the salt of the earth, you and I are on this earth for a reason, that we are meant to preserve this earth, that you and I have, have a duty to be the preservative that keeps the earth churning and moving. And Jesus knew this. And in Jesus' time, the earth seemed to be rotting at quite a quick pace. Because at his time, like the, the, the moral kind of issues weren't determined by what was right and what was wrong. And they didn't have like a moral compass that they really created laws over. It was who had the biggest army, who had the sharpest swords, the, the most ruthless warriors. Those people decided what was right and what was wrong. They didn't say, oh, what's best for my people? They thought, what's best for me? How can I remain in power longer? And how can I get more people under my rule of thumb? Right and wrong consisted of what makes me better as a leader and keeps the people lower and raises me higher. That was the right and wrong of the time. And Jesus is saying that like, you guys are, are the last stand. You are the ones that need to preserve this earth. That when things start going in kind of a fuzzy direction, you need to be the ones that stand up and are able to say, no, 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 I think we need to move in this direction. Like, I think we need to preserve what's going on here. And the only reason you can do, or the way you do that is through love that we learned about in the, the weeks prior to this. And that's how we need to be peaceful and meek and all of those things. But we need to be the salt 
that keeps this earth from rotting any quicker than it already is. And Jesus knew this. In his time, like humility, compassion, humbleness were signs of weakness, where today we think those are like virtuous things to be. And that, that, that's not how it was in Jesus' time. And at the heart of ancient Judaism, there was this worldview that they kind of, they all agreed to. And Jesus came on and he took those teachings and it caused them to explode all across the world. That's something that you and I take for granted at times, that we think it's just common sense that, that people have value. But that's what Jesus taught. That it's when Jesus came in and he gave us the way for us to be salt and life because in light, because Jesus came and he's the one that, that perfected this worldview that many of us have and many of us have pieces of it. And even if you're not a Jesus follower, there's things in your life that's a worldview that you've been taught that's not just the American way and it's not just common sense. It's, it's leftovers from our forefathers who created, who followed this worldview. And it all stemmed from Jesus because it's his teachings that taught us that there's one God alone, that there's one God and that he created each and every one of us. And he created us in his image and he created us to be equal with one another that all men should be created equal. That's not a Martin Luther King thing. That's a Jesus thing. That came from Jesus. And that's because God teaches us that men and women are the same, that there's not one more better than the other, that men and women are equal, and that children have value. And that came from Jesus and that worldview that he pushed forward, that, that dignity belongs to all people, not depending on your economic status or your social views or any of those things, but that we have value, intrinsic value, because we're made in our creator's image. That the rich are to be generous to the poor. That wasn't a worldview. That's not just the American way. That's something that came from Jesus. That's something that, that came from Jesus' teachings, that the strong are, are there to defend the weak. That's not the American way. That's the Jesus way. And that we sometimes have this sort of feeling like this is just common sense stuff, but it's not. It's something that we learned along the way. Someone taught us, and it came originally down from Jesus because we are the salt of the earth. We're the ones that are supposed to keep this thing, this ship moving. And the way that we do that is through love and through being able to have ourselves in right standing with people that we have the respect to be able to speak into those situations by loving people first. You and I are supposed to be earth preservers to keep this thing from rotting. And you might think that you're just one person. You might think that, you know, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I don't have, you know, this big political following, or I don't have this whole company under me. Or you might think that you're just a salesman at a, you know, a mid-level paper company. But that you have value and that you are there for a reason to preserve those around you. That was an office reference if you didn't get that. I don't know. Anyways. <laughs> Chris was dying laughing, so I had to say something. Uh, but you are the salt of the earth. And then he moves on with another word picture. He says this, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. That sounds pretty awesome. That you and I, if we follow Jesus, we're, we're not just the salt preservers, the ones that keep this earth from rotting, but we are the light of the world. It says that a city on a hill can't be hidden. Say, 
what that means by when he says this, that you're the light of the world. There we go. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. When they built cities back in this time, they usually built them up on hills so that people could see them from far away. They didn't have big forests all around and, and things like that. It was pretty hilly and, and sandy. And so they had these cities up on big hills and you could see them from miles and miles away. And they would build them out of like a white limestone so they reflected the sun. And you could see them from almost you know, 20 or 30 miles away or further, and you could see these cities. And they're saying, just like a city can't be hidden, you guys are the light of the world, that you are to be reflecting Christ to the people you come in contact with. You are the light of the world. And just like a city on a hill can't be hidden, you're not going to shield that from someone. If they're coming for you, they're going to find it because it's built up on this hill. You, and in other translations, the ESV, the English Standard Version, it says a city set on a hill. Instead of a city built, it's a city set, which means it was put there with purpose, that there was a, a strategy behind it, that it was strategically placed there, that you are strategically placed in your homes, in your job, in your friends' lives, in your coworkers' lives, that you are strategically placed there with a purpose, that it's not just by chance that you are where you're at. It might feel random to you, but you are a strategically placed city, and that you need to let your light shine because all the world can see. Everybody in the vicinity is affected by well-placed light. And it goes on and it says that neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. That would put the lamp out, right? You need oxygen. But you're not going to light a lamp and say, I need to light up this room. I'm going to put it you know, in this back corner underneath this bowl. You know, you're, Instead, you're going to put it on a stand and you're going to put it probably right in the middle of the room so it could illuminate the whole room so that everyone in the house benefits from it. You are placed somewhere for a reason that you are salt and that you are to preserve and that you are to be able to put yourself in a position to, to make an impact, whether that's you know, on this issue or that issue, but you have a duty to preserve this earth, that we are called to be salt and we're called to be a light and to let it shine for all people. And the reason we do that is so that they may see your good deeds which is the next slide, I believe. There we go. In the same way, in the same way that you let your light shine, in the same way that a, a, a light is put on a stand so that it benefits all around them, just the same way as a city is built up on a hill so that all can see it, so that all can find it when they need to, in that same way, let your light shine before others, that they're going to see your good deeds not that they're going to see that awesome Facebook post that you wrote. Not that they're going to see the reasons that you think this is right for your kids and, and for your world or that reason or all of those things, but that they may see your good deeds, that they may see how generous you are to a fault, that, that you're so generous that people would think, I don't know how they're able to give this much money that they're so generous with their stuff that they let us borrow things that I would never let anybody borrow, but they just let people borrow them because they don't look at these things as material possessions, but something to bless and to share with other people. They're your good deeds. Like, no one's that generous. That I, I just can't repay you type of generosity. 
that I screwed up real big this time and, and you should totally fire me, but you're giving me a second chance type of good deeds. That I can't believe someone would be this good. And when you do that, when you're able to be a light and you're able to shine and, and you're doing good, and then when people see that, what they're going to do, the reflection that they see is the glory of your Father in heaven. That you are a lighthouse, if you will that's not trying to ward people away from a rocky coast, but you're a lighthouse that connects the dots between what's driving you to be good, what's changed your life in such a way that people take notice, and it points them to your Father in heaven. That each one of us are reflecting something. That's scary. You're either going to point people towards Jesus, or some of us are pointing people towards stuff that maybe we shouldn't be pointing them to but that we are to, to do good deeds so that they may see and that they'll glorify our Father in heaven. In the early church, they got this right. That's how this thing began, the way that's how it, it kind of exploded throughout the world. The early church, they, they, they helped out the needy, the poor and the sick. If you read in, in Acts, which chronicles kind of the beginning of the church, it, it talks about how they sold their possessions in order to provide for those who didn't have what they needed. They shared what they had for the benefit of others. It, they, they, they took the sick in. If you read through the, the book of Acts, they, there's this disease called leprosy. It's gross. Like your body parts literally fall off your body and it affects you. And, and it was highly contagious in the time, super contagious. That might sound familiar during this time period. And the Christians would run to this. They would run to those people in need, who were sick, who were dying, and they would hold their hands, they would help them any way that they could because they didn't fear death. Think about that. They were salt preserving the earth. They took care of those who needed it, both financially, both whatever they need, both in the med medically speaking. It's Christians that started the first like public hospitals, the first hospitals that you could go to that wasn't just to take care of royalty or the rich people, but to take care of the poor, that was, that was Christians because they got it right. Those were disciples of Jesus that knew that they were here to preserve and to push forth this worldview that people have value, that they are created in God's image, and they did whatever they could to reach people and to be a light into their community because they lived powerful lives of salt and light that reflected Jesus. And so we've been sort of picking on this word Christian in this series, right? Like saying, well, Christian's not in the Bible and, and the early church, they didn't call themselves Christians, but, but it's okay for us to call ourselves Christians. I don't want you to like go away and think, I, I don't know, church is telling me I'm not a Christian, I'm a disciple now, and I guess that's what I got to use. But but what we're saying is we just want you not to settle for Christian. Don't just settle for, for coming to church on Sunday, for wearing a cross necklace and thinking that, um, you know, check my box. Don't just settle for Christian, but, but be salt. Be salt in your relationships. You know, salt can be an irritant, right? I remember when I was in, in high school, we used to, or probably middle school, because this is what middle school boys do, we'd be like, hey, grab some salt from like the road in the winter, and you'd kind of hold it in your hand as hard as you could and see who could hold it the longest, because it would start to burn your hand. Like salt can be an irritant, and I think we're called to, I know it's weird, I know, middle school boys, right? And so, but that's, 
it's to tell you that it can be an irritant. And sometimes when you're in relationship with people, and the key word there is in relationship with, when you're, you have um, understanding with one another, you can, you can help people along. You can say, you know, I, I, you're going through this situation right now, and I, I think maybe you need to go kind of this way. I don't know if that's the right direction that you should be going in, in, in and I don't know if you should make that choice that we're not judging others, but you should be able to speak in and say, hey, like, I've just been thinking about this a lot, and, and I know we're close, and we have this relationship, and I think maybe you should think about this, that you were there to preserve other people. You need to be salt. Living as salt means being willing to stand up and to speak out when you need to, but doing it in a way that reflects the love of Jesus. And if you have any kids that are going to school right now, you've probably sat through some board meetings, you've probably watched them online, and there is not a lot of good salt being thrown in those meetings. It's scary. I remember it's scary in a way that um, just seeing them and just feeling like I'm a, I, I hate confrontation with every fiber of my being and just watching those, like my insides are just doing this just spinning around because it's people that are forgetting that you're talking to other people, that God created us and that we can have different views, we can have different opinions, but that everything that we say and do should reflect Jesus. Don't settle for being just a Christian, but settle for being light into the world, a strategically placed beacon of hope. And that's how the church went from a group of 12 up to what it is today in in almost every country in the world. It's because they took this seriously. They didn't just settle for being people who believe in Jesus. The Bible says even, even the demons believe in Jesus, but they're not following Jesus. Even they believe. We need to do something with that belief. So don't settle for that. The other thing is this, that if you're a Jesus follower... It's probably because someone was salt and light for you in your situation. That someone came into your life and they were able to impact you in such a way that that began to stir this thought of, you know, maybe there's more to this life than what I'm living through right now. Maybe someone was strategically placed in your life to get you to a point where you could look at Jesus and begin to believe that he is who he said he is. That sometimes people are strategically placed in your life, and they might think that they're strategically placed. They might say, like, you know, I just feel like I'm here to speak to you and to get you through this situation, but they're just being salt and they're being life. But that relationship begins to take off and and point you in a whole different direction. And as I look through my many past years of life in in the church, and, and I can see that growth periods in my life happened because specific people came into my life that I can look back and and every growth moment I had in life is because of somebody else who was there egging me along or or urging me along. I don't think egging is the right word there, but but pushing me along to be better. I remember uh, a, a man, his name was Kevin, and I was probably a junior in high school, and he was a youth pastor. It was his job, but we would go fishing two or three times a week, I would get out of school early, and it was okay. I got out of school early. It was part of my schedule for work study. And I would go, and I'd meet Kevin, and we'd go fishing. And he just poured into me, into my life, and, and helped me to see what my future could be. And he poured into me, and I was able to see how him and his wife loved each other and their relationship and how that 
kind of was and what that meant to be a married person and what that looked like. And that really pushed me along. And he was salt in my life to preserve me from going down different paths that I could have gone down. And it's not because he forced me, but because he loved me enough to be a salt and a light into my life that pushed me and directed me towards Jesus. Maybe for you it was a teacher or maybe in your kid's life that you can look back and you can say, I remember when, you know, little Billy had this teacher in his life and he was, you know, seventh grade and she just totally impacted his life somehow and it just changed his everyday life. Or maybe it was a, a, a coach in a team and your son or daughter and they were just there and you just felt like this coach poured into your son and he, and he pushed him along and he stretched him and caused him to grow. Or maybe it's a neighbor who moved in next door. And at first you were like, oh man, the new neighbors, like they're a bunch of Christians. They're probably going to be super prudes, you know, like there goes our weekend parties and stuff. And, and they're just going to be, you know, people that want you to not have any fun. And then they moved in. And then all of a sudden you just realized how nice they were and they were being friendly, and then they invited you over for dinner, and, and they kept doing these things that would just make you feel like, why is this person this nice? And it felt a little icky and maybe a little irritating at times, like salt can do. And then eventually you learn that they genuinely are good people, and, and they're good because they follow and they believe in this man named Jesus who died for them, and that he also died for me, and it, and it caused me to think about them differently. And it was their being strategically placed in my life that I could say they pushed me further along in my walk. It's because they were salty. They challenged you, not in a judgmental way, but they challenged you in love. You know, I've done a decent amount of weddings in my heyday, uh, doing one. I'm meeting with a couple this week, uh, family members, but whenever I do a wedding, I always talk and I ask them, like, what do you kind of want for your ceremony? And, you know, most people are like, oh, I just love you know, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, you know, love is patient, kind, and all that. And so people want you to use that. And, and this week I was thinking about this message and how we need to be salt into our community and, and these situations. And I'm thinking, you know, the beginning of that, it talks that if you have, you can speak in, in the, the tongues of man or the tongues of angels, if you have eloquent speeches and all this stuff, but you don't speak it in love, then you're like a clanging cymbal. A clanging cymbal. I play the drums. Cymbals are very loud. <laughs> There's been a lot of board meetings that have a lot of clanging cymbals in them. My son loves college stories that I share with him. Most of them I can't share. But I did go to Bible college, so most of them are acceptable. But me and my roommate, we had this old cymbal that it was cracked and it was broken. But in our third year of college, we somehow got kicked out of our where we were supposed to live in the nice dorms, and we got put back in the freshman dorm. And so we're living down in the basement. There was like four rooms down there, and we just terrorized this dorm room, uh, this whole building. And so at night, on occasion, we would go up on the third floor. There was three floors, and we were in the basement. And we would go up on the third floor, and there was a staircase in the middle. And I would take this symbol and linoleum floors at like two in the morning and we would just throw it down the hallway and it would just clang all over the place and he'd get it he'd throw it down the stairs and he'd get it and throw it back on the second floor and then we'd go down and hide in our beds and it was so loud and we would think it was the most the most hilarious thing but that's what happens when we take it upon ourselves to just speak for the sake of speaking 
that when we begin to spout off our views and our opinions, not understanding that we're talking to real people that God created, that God loves just as much as you, and that when we just spout our opinions off, just hoping that people, we can convince them to do it, it's like we're just pounding on a keyboard thinking we're just saying it to a screen, but other people are reading those things. And when you come off like that, it's so self-righteous and that you were the only one that has any sense of, you know, sensibility in the world, that's like a clanging symbol that you're not being salt and you're not being life. That's not the standing up that I'm talking about. I'm talking about loving people and being able to earn the respect to be able to speak into someone's life, to be able to speak into a community that you have that level of respect where you can speak and people will take what you're saying, even if they don't agree with it, but they can feel the love that comes through in that. Saul always preserves. Light can always be seen. So be the light of, of your company. Maybe you're, you're in real estate. Be the, the real estate agent that just is the most loving, is the most kindest person. You know, not the person that, that you know, runs the shady deals, but the person that is so you know, upfront and honest with people. Like, I can't believe they disclosed that information. Like, no one's going to buy that house. But he disclosed it or she disclosed it because that's who they are. Be the, the, the salt and the light into Home Depot or, or Spectrum customer service, right? Like, I'm sure you need to be a light in that situation. No one likes Spectrum, right? Like, but be the light that says, you know, I called Spectrum and I was so mad, but I got this lady on the other end of the line. That's happened to me. I was so furious one day. I called at one person. They screwed up my whole thing, and I was all ready to just unleash on this lady. And she was the sweetest woman ever. I was like, I can't be mad at you. Like, I literally told her, I was like, I was prepared to fight you to the death, and you were just the sweetest person. She was salt, and she was light, and I don't even know if she's a Jesus follower. But be the person that stands up in your office, that that stands for good, and that points people to Jesus in every aspect of your life. Because it's through our good deeds that we'll reflect, and they'll point people to Jesus. We need to be a dot connector that connects people to Jesus. They're not going to look at us and say, man, that guy is so nice. They're going to say, that guy is so nice and he loves Jesus. And that must be the reason that he is so nice, that he's so generous. And I can't believe how generous he is. It must be because of this church that he goes to. It must be because of this guy, Jesus, that he follows. See, it doesn't take long to look around and to find a debate, an argument to disagree with someone on whether it's vaccines, passports, masks, no masks, whether it's um, you know, traveling or not traveling, whether it's Afghanistan, whether it's the presidency, whether it's the border, there's an infinite number of situations in our, in our daily life that we're all bombarded with and that Jesus is calling us. You don't need to solve that. You don't need to convince people, but you do need to share Jesus and be the light to them. Be salt in that situation. It's okay to stand up, and I think that Jesus calls us to be salt and to preserve this earth, and at times we do need to stand up and and to uh, fight for freedoms or fight for our rights in certain situations, but we need to do it in a way that reflects Jesus in that situation so that when people come out of that and they say, wow, Brian's not passionate about this situation or this issue. He's passionate about loving people, and that's how he's able to speak into this situation. 
That's what Jesus, I think, is calling us to, to light up the world all around us. And it just takes one person. I've seen illustration after illustration, and we can't do it in this room probably. It wouldn't be as cool. But if you shut off all the lights in this room and someone stood in the middle and they just had a tiny candle that you could be able to see from wherever you were in this room. So no matter how dark this world seems to get at times, it just takes one light to begin to illuminate a room. And that light will fill this whole room up. I encourage you guys to be a light. So together... Let's see what we can do to slow the decay, slow the rot of this earth, because we are really the hope of the world, that the church should be the hope of the world, that there should be no other person, organization, no other um, business, no other group of people that gives the hope that the church is able to provide, because Jesus is the hope of the world, and if we can't provide that, nowhere, you're not going to find it anywhere else. I'm going to pray, and then Chris is going to come up. We're going to sing a song uh, in closing, and, uh, and I'll get you guys out of here. God, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to come and to learn and to be, be students of your word, God. We just pray that your uh, presence will be felt this morning, God, that you can help us to, to look at our lives and to see where we need to be and, and how we can be a light into our situation and within our communities, within our state, God, within our homes, within our schools, within our workplaces, God. Just help us to figure out how is it that we can share love with other people, not to, to point out people's faults or how they're wrong or how we're right and, and how we need to convince them, but to convince them that they are loved by you, that you died for them, God, that that's what matters most. Just pray that you be with these people. In your name we pray. Amen.